in a parish, then you get you got to get people on the same purpose, right? What are we here to do? Why are we here on Sunday morning? We're here to encounter Jesus in in the Eucharist, right? But Jesus has a mission, right? And he wants to create a communion, right, with everyone. And he wants to draw as many people into this communion as is possible. And he needs all of us to draw more people into this communion, into this experience of communion with each other and with God that takes place in the Mass. And so we're all involved in this. And so then you begin to vision the, the, the purpose for our church is to go and make disciples, is to love God, to love people. It's to engage in the greatest life possible because God has created all things and he's the greatest God possible. Um, so we got a purpose, right? Join us in this purpose. And when you connect purpose and relationship, then all of a sudden you've got synergy because you know people and then they're walking with you on the same purpose and the whole thing comes to life. Welcome to the Huntley Leadership Podcast. Helping leaders be a positive catalyst in the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Hi, and welcome back. My name is Ron Huntley. Welcome to Leadership Podcast. I am your host. In June, we're going to be doing a podcast answering your questions. On what topic? On handling conflict in missional parishes. What do I mean by that? Parishes that are determined to make an impact. How do you deal with relational conflict? Surely to goodness, you have some really good questions that Lorraine and I would love to answer in that episode. Just go to HuntleyLeadership.com backslash questions. Give us your questions, and we're going to build a whole podcast around that to answer them for you. So please go to that. Welcome to the show today. My guest today was only the second podcast we released back in January the 7th, 2021. It's two years later, and we're checking in with Peter Deacon Peter Pelican. From the Brisbane Diocese, welcome to the show, Peter. Thanks, Ron. Great to be back. Yeah. I just realized, I, did, I thought, geez, it's been well over a year. And then I looked at the dates, like, it's been two years. <laughs> I'm yeah. so excited because I remember when we checked in or when we helped, when we did that podcast, I thought, I want to check in with you a year from now. And here it is two years later. Man, where does the time go? <laughs> so much has happened, hasn't it? And I think we just... We'd developed a strategic plan. We'd gone through a, a, a process with the staffing here in the diocese. And um, but we're, we're a few years into that now. We're three and a half years into a five-year plan. So we've got some progress reporting to do, you know. Yeah, that's right. State of the Union. Where are we at now? <laughs> yeah, so can you share yeah, exactly. with our listeners, because a lot of people will be hearing you for the first time. Just tell us what your role is. If it's changed, tell us the new role. And uh, and then let's dive into you know, what it looks like and means and tastes like to bring renewal to a diocese because that mm. is not an easy task. Indeed. Yeah, so my role is Executive Director of Evangelization Brisbane, which is the agency of the Archdiocese tasked with supporting parishes and communities in their mission to make disciples of all nations. And we do that through 17. We've got children and families, youth, young adults, adult formation, uh Parish leadership, so working on pastoral planning for parishes. Uh, we've got inclusion, which is like First Nations engagement, ecumenical engagement, interreligious dialogue, uh, multicultural pastoral care, all those kind of things. And then there's also vocations, so trying to get uh, new priests, new young men to consider uh, priesthood. And then finally, we have a retreat center as well called Santa Teresa Spirituality Center. Um, so yeah. all of that keeps us fairly busy. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds like. Uh... That sounds like that will keep you out of trouble or keep you in trouble. It just depends on how you look at yeah, it. A bit of both. And, yeah, a little bit of both, absolutely. And so, you know, you say you're three and a half years into a five-year plan. I remember being at St. Benedict years ago, and we did a five-year plan together. And, and we'd never done that before. And then we set goals around key areas. And it was more like uh, a group of junk, drunken sailors at an auction. Like we'd say, hey, how many people do you think we can get through Alpha? I don't know, 500. No, oh, I think we can do 1,000. I bet we can do 3,000, 4,000. So we write this number. <laughs> and I remember going back at it three and a half years later and going, what were we thinking? Like, this is impossible. <laughs> so where, where are you at with that? Were you guys drinking that day too? Or were you guys yeah, far more accurate? A little accurate bit of that. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we were probably um, a bit on the coffee, you know, a bit on the caffeine, a bit, a bit overexcited, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe Red <yeah>. Bull, Yuzi <laughs> Wings. But um, no, look, it, it's it's been fascinating. That the process of planning is an important one for any organisation and any parish. If you, you know, it's the old adage: if you fail the plan, you plan to fail. Um, yeah. And a strategic plan means that you can lead together with a community that know where they're going they know what they're trying Amen. to achieve it's not every decision is not dependent on me as as the big cheese as the boss you know but yeah they know what they're doing because they've got their strategic objectives and it means i'm just keeping everybody accountable to what they've already agreed to do so as a process it's and crucially important another piece of it for us was really thinking carefully through what are the aspects and elements in a parish that really need to be functional for the parish to grow and so those areas that I just outlined were driven by that. Like it's our view that at the the best investment that a parish can make uh, for evangelization is into children's ministry under the age of thirteen, so primary school age. And statistics tell us that something like over sixty percent of people who call themselves Christian began that road and first started in their road towards Jesus before the age of thirteen. And so that's the best possible chance to invest um, in in children. But if you're going to get the children there, you usually get the parents, and it's important the parents have a a, um, a good, positive, nourishing experience in your parish as well. So we have the adult formation piece. If you've got children engaged in the primary school, you've got to keep them engaged in the high school, so youth, young adults, and so on. And then you need parishes in order for them to be engaging and, and going somewhere. They've got to do planning, which which is what the leadership piece brings. And then you want a parish that's welcoming and inclusive, which is why we have the inclusion team there to think through what it means to welcome people. So our whole structure was built around what we think is necessary for a healthy, vibrant, functional parish. Now, back to your point about the goals and how much we were drinking. We we had a little bit of that where, you know, <laughs> it, it was our dream to have at least five parishes with youth ministries of 100 uh, kids coming every Friday night. This is just one anecdotal example. Yeah. And... We found, I mean, I was used to that. I, I used to be a Protestant minister. I came into the church in, right. in 2013. And so I, I pastored, uh, you know, large contemporary um, Pentecostal churches. And I read my way into the Catholic church. That's a whole other story. But well, listen to the first I, episode. I remember, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I remember, um, you know, in my mid-20s running a youth ministry. And, you know, by our third year, we had 170 kids coming every Friday night. And, you know, so I was thinking, well, let's do that here, you know. Why can't? Yeah, why not? How hard can it be? Um, yeah. So we give, we've been given that a swing, you know. Um, yeah. But of course, the context is different, and successful ministries require a scaffolding in, in all kinds of areas. Uh, you know, a youth ministry doesn't grow in isolation. It grows because of a healthy parish. It grows because of a healthy school. It grows because the principal and the priest are on side and are, are signposting the the. Um, the victories of the youth ministry, you know, so a, a priest is jumping up and saying, you know, Friday night we had 70 kids at youth. Isn't that fantastic? If you've got high school age kids, we'd love to see your kids there. It's so great to see young people engaging in faith, finding faith, hope, and love in the Catholic church, get them to youth. You know, it, it's all that mm. stuff yeah. um, that creates the larger context for the success of an individual ministry. So we've had to revise that goal of a hundred down to about 50. So, um, at the moment, you know, we're three years in, we've got three youth groups. One of them's averaging about, you know, between 50 and well, between 40 and 70 every Friday night. So we're excited about that. Yeah, it's well, a, one of yeah. the largest ones in the diocese. And then we've got a couple that are around about 30. Um, but that's an example of just revising those goals um, in light of reality. I mean, we've been working hard in this space uh, for three years, um, mm. engaging with schools and priests and, um, you know, in the education space as well. And, and that's turned out to be more of a challenge than we expected. So we had to revise our, our expectations mm. there. Peter, I but just want to speak that, into that. Uh, I, I remember during COVID, you know, the church I was going to at the time, I couldn't even get them to help. Like I, I was helping all these other churches over the world. So I'll help you for nothing. Like, let me yeah, help well, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course, they don't even return my phone call. And they completely shut down <laughs> everything. And it was just like crazy. And then, yeah. you know, you get the other people, yeah, we had to shut down our youth ministry because you know, it's just not possible. And and then at that same time, my son, because he's a hockey player, ice hockey player, played for the Moncton Wildcats at the time. And and uh, he's going downstairs. I'm like, what are you doing? He said, oh, I have to speak tonight. I said, who are you speaking to? Oh, a youth group, the, the Wesleyan Church, you know, a different tradition. 
And I said, oh, okay. Uh, how many people are there? Oh, 170. <laughs> uh, the Catholics, we can't do anything. And the Wesleyan Church gets yeah. 170. Like, I do yeah, not yeah. understand what renders us yeah. so ineffective. Yeah. Our, our expectations of the faithful, the lay faithful, are way, way, way too low. Um, Amen. And, and what I mean by that is people find life when they engage in the mission of Christ. And it doesn't matter whether you're a, a priest or you're a neophyte. Okay. If you're engaged in the mission, there's joy. It's why Pope Francis talks about the joy of the gospel. Sharing our faith is joyful, right? And so in the churches that I'd come from, you know, I, I mean, I had a youth leadership team of young adults with 20, 23 people coming every Wednesday night or every second Wednesday night. We would plan the next couple of weeks and we would pray and, and ask God to move and bring more young people into our community. Um, and, and, you know, as, as Catholics, we're going, oh, well, you, you know, you'd have to put them on the payroll to ask them to do that. I mean, that's like nearly 60 hours a week that you're asking them to do. I'm like, these guys want to do it. They can see Amen. the vision. They see the mission. They see how much it can change a young person's life to encounter Jesus and to experience his life and his love. And so... We, we could kind of raise the bar there and say, look, God wants to use you in, in the life of the church and you are baptized into his mission and you don't need to be an ordained, you know, bishop, priest or deacon in order to get involved. You know, in fact, we need more laity involved. We need young people, young adults who can engage in youth ministry. And this is true in every layer of the church, you know, that, that the more we involve people, uh, the better it is for them, the more joyful their experience of church is. And the, the only provision there is that if you are going to attract volunteers, you're going to engage them in the life of the church, you've got to lead well. You've got to follow through. You've got to share the vision. You know, this is what we're trying to do, right? Friday night, we want to see as many young people as we can get to encounter Jesus. And so we are not going to put on a flaming video and eat some pizzas and go, oh, isn't that fun? You know, I say video, I'm showing my age, you right? No, we're going to, we're going to praise God. We're going to talk about how God changes our lives. Some of you guys are going to share about what God has done in your life. You're going to share about your experience at your confirmation and what, what the power of the Holy Spirit did in your confirmation or a moment you've had in confession or in Eucharist that just transformed your life. And then we're going to invite other people. We're going to invite the young people there. We're going to say to them, look, if you want to encounter God tonight, you can do that, right? And we're going to invite them to stand up and to come forward. We're going to lay a hand on their shoulder. We're going to pray and ask God to meet them right where they are. And we're going to encourage them then to come become part of our mass community, right? Now, Catholics typically say, whoa, 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 you can't do that. This is going to scare them away. Mate, the only thing that is scaring people off the Catholic Church is that we're not standing for anything. Man. And we've made it so easy and we're pandering to everyone and we don't want to ask too much because, you know, we don't want to kind of encroach on your life or share anything bold and it's like the, the apostles didn't go out on mission by pandering to everyone and just making it easy they called people to a life of discipleship a life of faith hope and love a life of faith that steps out of the boat and doesn't just sit where it is and when we do that it, the whole catholic tradition is compelling it comes to life Ugh. And that's how saints are formed, right? The saints become saints yeah, because their lives are compelling, not because they sat back and did the, the bare minimum. Anyway, it ran over. <laughs> no, 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 we're just getting started. Uh, <laughs> we're just going to feed off each other this whole podcast. Yeah. This, you know, four, first four-hour podcast. That's it. Make up for two years <laughs> not talking. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're saying something that reminds me of a podcast I watched with Jordan Peterson and Bishop Robert Barron. And it was yeah, so funny one, because, yeah. you know, at the time, you know, Jordan Peterson was still not confessing anything in terms of belief. Uh, and mm. and, um, and it just seems been so fun to watch him because we just seem to see this uh, intellect coming to faith in real time, almost like C.S. Lewis, except we get to watch yeah. it all because he's online so much. But anyway, yeah. in his podcast with Bishop Barron, he says, you know what, you, you know what the problem is with the Catholic Church? He's saying that to Bishop Barron. Like, well. Tell me, Jordan, what's the problem? Enlighten me. <laughs> he said, you don't ask enough of people. Uh, you don't ask enough of people. And yeah. and I just thought that just right in line with what you're saying. And, and, um, and the other piece is, and I thought this was, I found it frustrating. No no disrespect to Bishop Robert Barron. He's amazing. One of the, oh, the first podcasts, the one um, before you, that guy came to faith because of Robert Bishop, because <laughs> Bishop of Robert Barron. Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's give props. But at one point he said, yeah, you know, it should like a life following Christ should be the greatest adventure ever. 
Like it's dangerous. Right. It is scary. It is fun. It's it's you're fully alive if you're crazy enough to follow Christ. And it gives life purpose yep. and meaning beyond your wildest dreams. Like, yeah, welcome, welcome to faith. Uh and 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 it was something like that. And and Bishop Aaron said, Yeah, that's that's exactly the call to the priesthood. And and I couldn't agree more in one sense, hopefully. Now, the other part of that is, you know, he said, because you become a priest and you get a you get a parish to take care of. But I remember <laughs> thinking to myself, I wanted to I wanted to jump out into the screen. I'm like, parish to take care of, as if everybody's useless. Like, hey, come cuddle <laughs> yeah. these useless Catholics that can't do anything that are that can't live life without you because you're amazing and they're whole they, they're just useless. <laughs> and they're not to be cared for, they'll be mobilized. Yes, cared for. Yeah, but for yeah. purpose and meaning mobilize them to make a difference in the world don't coddle yeah. them as if they're useless and do nah, all the yeah. ministry for them and hope maybe they show up and do a tiny little bit yeah uh, there's and my rant i'm sure bishop well and i'm sure bishop baron would agree with you on that i mean i think he, he, yes, he would. i know he would and too, i hear yeah. when you say it's the call of the priesthood and you're like it's the call to all the baptized not just yeah, the priesthood all, right this we're it, all it, called to mission right it's priest, not prophet, just the and priest, king, baby. Are, exactly yeah. Um, and so I think sometimes people think that, you know, giving your life to Jesus means a uh, discernment to the priesthood. No, no, no. When you baptize, you're baptized into the mission. Jesus calls every one of us to go on mission with him. And that looks different for each one of us, but it's it's absolutely an adventure. And the more that we surrender ourselves to what it is God's calling us to do, the more life we find in our faith. You know, it, it's an adventure for everyone, but the adventure is for everyone, not just the ordained. Amen. Well, and something else you talk about is, is sometimes, and that's why I love building teams with priests, because a lot of times they're petrified to ask anybody to join them on the leadership team, because that's two hours a week mm. just for that one meeting, plus another hour of the week for checking in on one-on-ones, plus whoever you're supporting in the and And most of them are volunteers. And priests like, nobody's going to mm. do that. I'm thinking, you wouldn't believe how many people would love to partner with a yeah. parish priest, lay down their life to build the Roman Catholic Church, to build a church that is actually worth going to. Like all kinds of people would want to do that. But once they realize that that's possible, it changes their, changes their paradigm. But the truth yeah. is, if you're not asking them to do that, what do you think they're doing when they don't go to church? They're so mm. involved in their kids' sports, their kids' dance, yep. all, all these other things in the community where they're crushing it, spending a ton of their own money traveling with sports teams and everything else, mm. and they love doing it. And mm. yet, where do you feel guilty for inviting them to something amazing, and I don't, yeah. I don't know why. It's like we think it isn't amazing or something. It's crazy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, most people in our pews today, if you invite them to be involved in a process that's going to help the parish come to life, they're like, yes, let's do that. Now, when Finally. you talk about what that means, they might be not so excited. You know, you mean I can't keep playing the organ, you know, or I can't keep being on the reader. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Other people are going to be reading as well. Like, yeah, yeah, we're going to have them people. <laughs> I'm ready to share Whoa. this ministry. Hold on a minute. You know, yeah, exactly. There's a yep. bit of that that goes on. Right. But most people in our pews want to see the church thrive. And Amen. there's something deep within them that hungers for that experience of God and the experience of the church being life-giving and nourishing for everyone who's involved. And if you as a priest or a leader in a parish can invite someone to say, hey, we realize that the experience people are having on, at mass on the weekends could be better. You know, it's not yeah. great. It's not very lively. It's not very engaging. It's pretty quiet. It's pretty tired. Um, there's so much that we could do. Would you be a part of a process to help us um, bring life to the experience? Now yes. we know theologically and sacramentally that, you know, you objectively receive grace in the Eucharist and, and that's great, right? But it's not an excuse for a bad experience it's not an excuse for bad music for bad welcome for bad culture um and if you can build all those other things around the eucharist the whole thing comes to life oh and that was our experience when when we went about trying to make a church matter at saint benedict parish we just really believed that there was so much to learn from all kinds of other traditions and stuff that didn't take away from who we were as roman catholics it brought it to uh, life and there's just so yep. many things. It's like, well, there's no reason we can't do some of those things. And as yep. we did, holy man, it brought the church life. And it was so life-giving. It was what I always thought mm -hmm. the Catholic Church could be. It should be a place yep. of 
unbelievable transformation where I am filled with the yeah. Holy Spirit so much so it's palpable. So that and that's what brings the Eucharist to life. That's what gives you know, if the whole church is dead, people look like they're going to a funeral. I've got no friends. Music stinks. There's no hospitality. The preacher can't preach. Uh, and I go home. I'm thinking, I don't know, that that the Eucharist doesn't feel like it's yeah. making a difference in my life. And people are walking away in droves. And again, that's not, nobody sets out to do that. And I know that that's not, that's being harsh. Well, it's, it's, it is being honest, but isn't it? I mean, you know, <laughs> statistically, that's the situation we're in in the West yeah. is people are leaving, you know, most churches through COVID, uh, most Catholic churches have lost around 30%, um, yeah. have lost around 30% of their parishioners. And that's that's true in our diocese as well. So wow. I, I think the thing that's fascinating too, and it picks up on what you're saying here is sometimes priests feel like they need to lead by doing everything for the people, but... That's not the case. What people are looking for is to be set free in the gifting that God has placed on them. And so if there's one thing I could say to Catholic leaders of all descriptions, but especially our priests, is you've got to see yourself as an empowerer of others. You've got to see them, see yourself as a dream releaser. You know, there's people in your community that have got a hunger to do something in the church or to see life. And rather than you shutting it down and making it difficult for them or ch you know checking every little dot and tittle about whether they're suitable... It's to go, how do you take that energy, that enthusiasm, that charism, and, and make it come to life in your community? And sometimes what someone wants to do is not actually what you want. And you're like, no, that's not going to happen, right? But what you want to yeah. do is not just say, no, look, we're, we're, that's not something we'd want to do. You, you've got to give them an alternative, right? So look, that's a really interesting idea. Could we try this instead or in the first instance let's do this. And you, you take their enthusiasm and their energy and you reshape it to somewhere where you can set that energy and that life and that passion free. And when we release our people in their gifts, they feel free, they feel empowered, they feel joyful, and they draw others with them in that. And it changes the whole um, atmosphere in the place. So releasing people, empowering them in, in what they feel God's calling them to, rather than putting boundaries and, and putting up gates to make things difficult. And what it does is it, it's, this might be counterintuitive to some, but it actually empowers the priest even more. Oh, I couldn't um, agree because more. Because the, the priest all of a sudden has these people that are excited. They've got energy and they're working alongside the priest to take the mission forward. Uh -huh. um, I, I saw in a leadership theory book once, well, in, in a Catholic set of, it was a, a priesthood book, and I can't remember what the name of the book was, but it had this image of, you know, the priest and the people, and the priest serves the people and the people serve the priest. It's like, what? Are you serious? The priest serves the people and the people serve the priest? Seriously, <laughs> you come to church to serve the priest? The priest comes to church? Like, this does not but, understand the mission. It doesn't understand no. what Jesus has called all the baptized to. It doesn't even understand the role of the apostle, you know? I mean, Jesus I didn't say, now get a whole lot of people who can serve you. Go and make disciples. Like the, the priest is a leader in the mission and is leading Amen. the mission with the people. And y your job as a leader in the parish and as the priest is not merely just to serve these people and have these people serve you, but it's to empower them in the mission so that with you, they go and help you in this mission to make disciples and change the world for Jesus. So it's it's together heading in the same direction. It's not this kind of little echo chamber of people serving people and within a, a room, you know. So um, painful. It's a, it's a strange notion that, yeah. Mm, it's a, it is. So, so, so here's one of the things that I've come to know a long time ago, but it'd be interesting how you guys are viewing this from a diocesan perspective is it's, I would suggest that, um, you know, everything rises and falls on leadership, like everything. Man. And, yep. you know, read, Kings one and two, you just watch the Israel yeah, just yeah. go up and down, up and down. But yeah, yep. depending on the king's faithfulness. And so, and and I look at my own life and I think, yeah, when I'm faithful, all of a sudden things go a little smoother. When I'm selfish, moron, which I can be, uh, it doesn't go so well. Uh, what do you know? Uh, and so even yeah. how I leave myself matters. Say my fidelity to yeah. God and my intimacy with Jesus in prayer and, and just, you know, it's just beautiful. However... They're not trained for any of this stuff. It's not their fault. You know, yeah. I just did a podcast with actually a um, 
it'll be out by the time this one's released. Um, but it's with Father Pierre Luigi, and it was just so beautiful because he's you know he spent the first eighteen years of his priesthood f- as a formator, you know, former mm. priest, and then his yeah, his, wow. his um his order asked him to take a pre a parish, and so I think it was it was in Australia, and so he took this parish. But he said, you know, I didn't have a clue how to run a parish. I'm thinking, hold on yeah, a minute, yeah. weren't you? Did you say you were teaching people how to do that for the last 18 years? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. and so then he, he's been just doing beautiful. He's such a humble man. Like, it was such mm. a treat to talk to this man. So humble. And just listening mm. to how he grew and how he ran into kind of plateaus and how he broke through them. And then he ran into another plateau and he'd break through it. It's just mm. so fun listening to his story. And I asked him a question, you know, if you found yourself heading back to becoming a formator, what would you do different? Like, what do you know now that you would do differently if you went back? And what he said to me, I found fascinating. He said, I wouldn't assume just because somebody's in the seminary that they are committed to Jesus. Like they've had a transformational encounter with Jesus. And have gone all in as a disciple. Yep. He said, but I didn't know that. We just assume that if you're at the seminary, you must have had yeah, these experiences. Yeah. And I've coached lots of priests. Er, have, but I've coached lots of priests that have. But I've also coached yeah. lots of priests that haven't. And and if that's the case in a seminary, how true is it in a church? Totally. We make totally. the assumption that everybody's at the same place. It's like, I actually, I think the safer assumption would be that that's absolutely not the case, even if mm. they're baptized Catholic. Yep. But, yeah. so, you know, priests are formed, like, in the seminary and or when they leave the seminary, to think like this or to have those skills. You know, even the mm. way you talked about redirecting somebody's passion and energy um, mm. to, towards something that, that might be a good fit, even though it might be slightly different. That's mm. a skill. Yeah, and yeah. None of that's addressed in any of the formation, pre or post. And so, what are we doing about that? Like, is that even on the radar? Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a, a huge question. I mean, the, the whole issue of seminary formation is it's on the radar um, universally. And I know uh, Rome has done work on a new ratio, and, and countries have been working on a ratio, which is the document that underpins um, formation. But one of the challenges, of course, is, you know, when you're only talking with people in the same world with the same experience, um, then you can miss um, some of that, the breadth of leadership experience that that goes beyond um, that of a local parish priest. Um, Another key factor in in the moment that we're in is a lot of guys that, you know, are in their 50s and 60s now were ordained at a time where the church in the West was just going gangbusters. You know, we had large churches and they were filled and it was a time where the church was what people did on Sunday and Saturday. You know, it was the whole community life. It was their sport. It was their Sunday morning. It was hospitality. It was just so integrated with the tribe and the community. Uh And what that means is if if you're becoming a priest in that environment, you haven't had to pioneer. You haven't had to build anything. You've come in at when it's already large and then you're trying to do something with it. Um, and that's a, I mean, what that does is it tends to teach you how to maintain what is. Uh-huh. And so then we've got a whole generation of people who have had that learned experience. Now, whether they were conscious of it or not, they've learned to maintain um, what was there and what was there was, was pretty good. I mean, the parish that I um, serve at on the weekends it had sort of 1,600 people over, you know, four masses in the 80s and 90s, and we'd have 250 there today, you know. So, and this is the trajectory of Catholic churches all around the Western world, you know, that were thriving in the 80s and and just fell apart spectacularly. And what that means then is, what does it mean to pioneer now? Like, we've gone through this massive decline um, right across the West, how do we get the skills to pioneer as well? Because we need priests and bishops that have vision, have passion, who can see what God is asking of the church right now and what it's going to take to get there. 
and to have the courage then to, to share the vision and then go and enact that vision and take people with you. And the other thing, of course, that complicates that is, you know, there's a whole lot of leadership theory out there that's that's not yet integrated into seminary formation, which is super helpful if you want to be a leader. I did a lot of it. I did a master's in educational leadership. So you're looking at all these theories and um, all of that I use all the time, you know. I mean, it's, I wasn't doing it then thinking I was going to be in this role. Um, but I use those as those, those, um the models of leadership, I use the, the understanding of how power works in an organization, how to use the right kind of power in the right context, how to coach people so that when you're managing people, you're not just sitting there like a dictator, but you're asking the right questions to get them to appropriately reflect. These are all things that aren't miss are missing from the, the seminary formation. And then the other piece, and I think I mentioned this in the first podcast too, but I mean, one of the, Simon Sinek makes this point, and that is... Yeah. One of the most formative experiences for any leader is having your own children. And the reason that is, is because when you've got a family, when you've got kids, you've got to lead those kids. You've got to set boundaries and keep them. You've got to create a culture in your home. What kind of home do you want this to be? What sort of experiences do you want your family to have? What's going to happen at a mealtime? What are going to become the norms in your home? And you can be intentional about that. Or not, you know, you can set the culture and or not. You can be a passenger in that and you pay the price for being a passenger or you can get on the front foot and lead it, you know, and what kind of kids do you develop? And so that experience of parenting does a heck of a lot of good in terms of informing what it means then to create culture in an organization, create culture in a parish. What kind of parish do we want to be? What sort of people are we trying to engage? What sort of experiences do we want them to have? How do we want them to respond when we say things? How do we want them to feel when they come into the parish? How do we want them to uh, react at the end? Uh, what kind of experiences? And then when it comes to hospitality and volunteering, what are, what are the expectations? Um, and so all of that flows into that. And again, that experience, is, of course, is, is not part of um, priestly ministry. So. Um, so we're on the back foot, you know, in terms of um, forming our clergy. And we've got so many great clergy who are doing so many great yes. things. Um, I agree. But, and I think it was Pope Francis made that um, point about, you know, the fact that nobody talks about a plane until it falls down, you know. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you can have a, you can have millions of planes in the in the air and it's the one that crashes that gets all the, the media attention. Mm. And and so priests have copped it a bit because, you know, we've, we've had a few fall in the last 30 years and, and that's brought a lot of, um, it's, it's uh, reflected on the many others that continue to be faithful. But mm. I say all that to say, yeah. you know, because of those missing experiences in, in formation, in seminary, and also in life in terms of just learning how to adult, learning how to parent, learning how to pay bills, all those things, it means that a lot of our clergy, by the time they come out of um, seminary, are starting on the back foot because the life experience they've had when they begin as a priest at 25 is about half of what anyone else has had who's had to pay for their, their rent and organize their food and manage their finances and then develop a relationship and show up to work on time and <laughs> all these little pieces that help when you're a leader. And so for priests out there who, who might be listening to this, I just, I don't say all of this to, um, you know, open any wounds or, or point out any flaws as much as to say, these are experiences that the rest of us have had because that's what life gives you. <laughs> that are really help us, you know, in a lot of ways in becoming leaders. And so the question then for, for those that haven't had that is, is how can you find those now? And, you know, things like what you do with, with priests all the time and your coaching, that, that picks up on the gaps left by the leadership formation. And um, for priests to have deep and close relationships with families in their parish can help priests to come and to, to begin to understand how leadership works in a, in a home. That's so true. You know, Peter, when I think about, you know, the seminary formation and um, all the theology that, that Pete, you know, the Catholic priests get in terms of formed in is, is spectacular. And, um, and I'm not even sure, and I don't know, I'll be interested to hear your perspective on this. I'm not even sure that's the place to get the type of training that we're talking about, only because they get out of the seminary and they're not parish priests, they're associate priests. And mm -hmm. in North America, we use the word pastor. They're not a pastor, they're an associate priest. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is when I talk to, to associates, they say, nobody ever taught me how to be an associate. They only taught me how to be the pastor. 
And yet mm-hmm. you're an associate for five years, and that can be a grueling experience, one that's very disorienting and, and disillusioning. You know, there'll mm-hmm. be a lot of disappointment can happen during that period of time um, because nobody even taught them how to be an associate. But, and so yeah, they don't yeah. get a chance to do the things that we're talking about. I almost think, wouldn't it be cool? <laughs> Why do I have an opinion on this and who cares what I think? But I'll say it anyway. <laughs> um like, wouldn't it be cool as if, you know, well, Father Peter is going to become a parish priest? He's finally going to get the charge of a, of a parish. What if we took six months and that's when we taught him these skills? Because you're actually mm. going to care because you're actually going to be able to use them. I've actually yeah, had yeah. associates in the, the uh, parish leadership course for pastors I run. And I tried that once. I'll never do it again because they just disengage. They don't. It's almost like they don't care. It's like, mm-hmm. I can't. I don't have any power to make any of these decisions, set the culture, do anything yeah. else. I'm powerless. And so it's yeah. like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I'm not interested. And it's not because mm. they wouldn't be interested if they could make a difference. They're just not in a place in their life where they can make a difference. So teaching them nah, that yeah. in seminary is almost torture. I, I almost okay. think, well, teach them how to be an associate in the seminary and then teach them mm. how to be a parish priest when they get out. I don't know. That's yeah. my thinking. Yeah. Yeah. But it's an interesting thought. I, I mean, I think it, it depends a lot too on the on a parish priest and yeah. whether the the existing priest understands and leads, um, uh, you know, understands all the leadership theory and actually leads out of that and leads collaboratively and sets vision. And because you can learn how to lead a parish from an existing priest who knows how to lead, hundred um, percent. It's just, but it's just many in many cases, um, our, our clergy are not formed to lead, um, and so they they just. They can't, they'll follow a mass schedule and they, they do the sacraments beautifully, yeah, but but in terms of how do we get this parish from here to here, that it's not part of their skill set. So I think your your your, uh, your point's an interesting one because it's it's that whole concept of just in time learning. Yeah. You you learn the best when you need to know something, you know, like uh yeah. just before this podcast started, I needed to know how to sort my sound out and I'm using a little <laughs> interface here and I couldn't hear you, so all of a sudden I'm Googling and there's the answer. I got the answer I needed because I needed right. it there and then. Now, if I'd have looked at that yesterday, I would have had to Google it again anyway because I didn't need it yesterday. <laughs> so That's a great point. Yeah, like you're dead right. Um, and, and that's been my own experience a bit too. I remember, um, you know, I, I did my, because uh, I went through the sort of Protestant system. So I did my, okay. my first undergrad in theology and I was in a bit of youth pastoring on the side, just part-time. And then I, I was in the in the parish then as an associate priest um, was what you know to use Catholic language you know an associate yeah. pastor. Um, but then in my second appointment, I was in a parish that had a school, and so I was asked to, to lead the youth ministries in that church, and then also um, cover Christian studies and study of religion in the school, right? And I had an undergrad in theology but no education, so I did my education degree as soon as I started in that school. So it was just in time, you know, I had to go and then do right. that. And then I, I was then put on the executive of the college. And so I thought, well, I better get some, some skills under my belt. So I did my master's in leadership while I was on the executive of the school. <laughs> That's so, impressive. And, and it was perfect, right? Because I was learning yeah. all these leadership principles and seeing the, the problems that is created in any yeah. organization right in front of my eyes. And so you've got an obvious application um, to then you know, you take those principles and apply them in the school, you know. And, and so then I become Catholic and I kick off my, my PhD and then I'm, I'm working as the private secretary of the archbishop, right? So it's great yeah. to do a PhD in theology when you're working for an archbishop like ours who can speak six languages and has a PhD in, in biblical <laughs> studies. And unbelievable. He's amazing, that, yeah. right? So yeah. you've got some catching up to do, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so each time it's been um, just in time learning, you know, um, and that really <laughs> so, motiv- it motivates you to learn. Yeah. It does motivate you to learn. I agree. Yeah. That's always been my vision for, you know, in, even working with parish. I remember when we turned our church around, it was amazing. And the book was written and we conferences and everything was just unfolding. It was just so exciting. And I remember at one point looking at my pastor saying, our next level of impact isn't going to be from growing our church even more. It's going to be helping other people grow their churches. And it was just so fun to begin to do that. And what a lot of people are finding when they are crazy enough to go on that journey, because it's hard, but it's also hard not to be wildly successful. And so you might as well put the effort into a place that's going to be rewarding and and and, and honor God. Uh, 
But sometimes in diocese, people will attack you. I, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you, you become target number one. And, and, and yep. so, but I, I would think, you know, in a perfect world, I would love to be able to help a handful of churches in a diocese become wildly successful, know mm. why they're wildly successful so they can give it away and really yep. become training grounds for seminarians and people that maybe yeah. are going to become a pastor later. And we could literally start taking some of those families from that church with that pastor's permission and bring them with you to your new assignment with all of this learning, with all their passion, with all their generosity of giving, mm-hmm. with all their leadership skills, and actually start to transplant health in churches. Um, yep. That would be my dream because the seminary in and of itself is doing, I'm hoping, and I'm guessing I'm not a seminary, and I don't know, but I'm guessing they're doing a, a really good job, a very diligent job, a very intentional job of training people in theology. But we need we need practical schools where they can go and learn yeah. their craft and their skill of leadership. Yeah. And 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 I, I don't know a better place to do I don't think that university is a great place for that. I think the local parish yeah, yeah. is the best place for it under the tutelage of a pastor who gets it and understands yep. leadership and has structures and meetings and all the all yeah, these yeah. processes where we're unleashing people for impact. It's like, man, yep. can you imagine if these theologians that was part of the understanding of what happened and and bishops had these and would support these priests who were crazy enough to go on that journey to create that space that mm. they become re- real life training ground for excellence that's yeah, absolutely <laughs> that's the dream isn't it i mean a healthy parishes form healthy priests and so if you can put seminarians into healthy parishes that are led well they're seeing that example straight up right i, I think um one of the most important learnings in the Catholic context is understanding how power is used in an organization. And the reason that's important is because in our church, there tends to be a, an overemphasis on hierarchical power. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, in the canons, you know, the, the Pope is the supreme legislator. So if anyone's going to change a canon, it's the Pope. In a parish, the priest... Um, is essentially the CEO and the pastoral councils are not boards of directors, they're advisory boards. And so they mm-hmm. give advice to a priest, but the priest can essentially do what, what he wants as long as he's within the limits of, of canon and civil law, which gives a priest or, or a bishop for that matter in the diocese an extraordinary yeah. amount of power. Now, power is only a bad thing if it's used badly. It's a good thing if it's used well, right? So the the, the amount of power given to clergy is not necessarily the problem. It's the use of that power. And I think here I would say that the the, the chief mistake that any leader can make, whether you're in a church or in an organization, is to use hierarchical power. And what I mean by that is, all right, so here I am at EB. I've got about 35 staff. If if I start telling them what to do because I'm the boss, nobody's going to want to work. For me, nobody's going to like stick around like here's this well i'm going well it's a perfectly reasonable direction why aren't you doing it i've asked you to do it i'm your boss do it you know that is not going to inspire anybody to follow me another thing that we do in the church a bit we use hierarchical leadership and we also use i'm just trying to remember the name for it but it's like um it's using your inside knowledge over people so our connections it's like i think it's called connection power i'd have to look it up i could find it and send sure. it to you but it's this is the concept right it's okay i work in the office uh, and, and i have a connection with the archbishop and the vicar general you better do what i say or i'll give you a bad reputation with those around you <laughs> you know i can i can stifle your career trajectory by my connections and there's a little bit of that that goes on in our church where it's like you're either in or you're out and if you're out you are out and if you're in you're one of the in people. And that's a really scary way to use power. Um, I mean, there's leadership annuals on this, and it happens in organizations all over the place. It's a way of kind of managing up and controlling people below you by um, how you share. And, and what I would want to say to everyone listening is don't use hierarchical power. Don't use that connection power. You've got a connection that someone else needs, so you're holding it over them. Don't use information to, you know, I've got all the information, I'm only going to drip feed it to you because that gives me power over you. Where I lead from myself and where I'd encourage others to lead from is relational power and purpose power. And what I mean by that is 
I'm on this podcast with you, Ron, because we're friends and we had a relationship. And when you emailed me to go, do you want to come on? Of course, right? Now, the podcast is secondary to our friendship, right? I'm here primarily because I believe in you and I believe in your mission and I appreciate your friendship over the years. And it's the relational power that you have with me that inspires me to, to take an hour out of my day to, to have a chat with you because we've got a friendship and we, we, we see the same things. And that relational power is far more effective than any hierarchical power or connection or knowledge power that you can use with someone. And that's crucial in the church because if you get to know your pastoral council or your finance council, or your, your, your liturgy committee people, get to know them as people, what's going on in their lives, how they're going, how's their... Their children, their grandchildren, their their husbands, their wives, what's going on at work, how's their health. If you know them as people first and then you invite them to do something, they will do anything for you because hey, it's man. all about relationship. Now, the, the second piece that I mentioned there before, relational power and purpose power. Purpose power is about being clear on the purpose. And this is another reason why I'm here having this conversation with you because you and I have an aligned purpose. Uh, we both want to see parishes right across the world come to life uh grow with the evangelization mission of the church you know the young people encounter jesus people of every age encounter jesus and discover his real presence in the eucharist and find the profound meaning of the bass it's incredibly beautiful right it's just it's the dream it's it's the the god who is beyond all things who is indescribable comes and and shares himself with us body blood soul and divinity in the altar and mass and it's like this is a miracle going on right now where is everybody right so i agree we're joined we're joined (laughs) in this purpose right yes so yeah like you jump together and we've got the same purpose and we're doing it now different parts of the world as best as we can and so in a parish then you get you got to get people on the same purpose, right? What are we here to do? Why are we here on Sunday morning? We're here to encounter Jesus in in the Eucharist, right? But Jesus has a mission, right? And he wants to create a communion, right, with everyone. And he wants to draw as many people into this communion as is possible. And he needs all of us to draw more people into this communion, into this experience of communion with each other and with God that takes place in the Mass. And so we're all involved in this. And so then you begin to vision the, the, the purpose for our church is to go and make disciples, is to love God, to love people. It's to engage in the greatest life possible because God has created all things and he's the greatest God possible. Um, so we've got a purpose, right? Join us in this purpose. And when you connect purpose and relationship, then all of a sudden you've got synergy because you know people and then they're walking with you on the same purpose and the whole thing comes to life. And you don't need to pull rank. You don't need to say, oh, I'm the priest or I'm the boss or I've got this role or it's my prerogative. You're just yep. leading people towards the purpose and they're loving it and they're in relationship with you. And the whole thing happens so organically and it's joyful, right? It's not rather than me managing people, it's me working alongside colleagues for the for the purpose and for the mission. And it's like, it's fruitful, it's joyful. And I'm not thinking about myself as the boss. I'm just another person in the in the machine. Amen. Rant That's over. why too, as you're speaking that stuff, thanks for thanks for your clarity and and labeling those. It I find it helpful. I think people are going to find it helpful. I find it helpful. And that that's why I love Alpha so much. And you know, people get yeah. sick of me saying that, but I'll say it anyway because you literally have dinner with them eleven weeks in a row, and so you go from yeah. a perfect stranger that you're probably not even going to like to yep. some you start hyperventilating at hyperventilating at week seven because you know it's going to end soon and you're not going to have a reason to see them. You grow yeah. in love and friendship with these people. And, yeah. and and that's why, you know, Nikki Gumbel, I think you did like 98 alphas in a row. Like that's uh. like 40 or 45 years or 30 years of alpha. <laughs> like imagine how many people he really, 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 really got to know. Mm. And I found yep. myself as I was engaged in alpha when I was at St. Benedict Parish, you know, people would be coming to me, what can I do? Because they've caught uh. you loving them 11 weeks in yep. a row. And it's like, how can I not give back to somebody who's loved me this much? Yeah. You know, with the kitchen team and the hospitality team and the weekend away team and the team at the table. And it's like, oh my gosh, this church cares about me. And it's like, you're darn right we do. Like we really yeah, do. Yeah. And, yeah. and 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 so yeah, it just it it's the fuel, it's it's the lubrication for the ch- what is church. If not, Man. we're just trying to m- m- 
manipulate behavior. We're trying to change behaviors, yeah, but, yeah. but we but but we don't have the the power is in Jesus Christ. It's in that transformed yep. heart. Jesus is primarily in the life transformation business, not the behavior modification business. That's secondary. Totally. It's almost not totally. an issue. Yep. You know, Absolutely. That, that's just a byproduct of a changed heart. Yep. And yeah. I think, um, yeah, I mean, the power of relationship, it's just so crucial to our whole tradition. Um, I think of St. Paul, you know, in, in first, his first letter to the Corinthians, and he's saying, you know, I, you can fathom all mysteries and have not love. You're a clanging gong and a, a resounding symbol. And I think if St. Paul were, were speaking of the church today, he might say, you know, you can have communion on the tongue and you can have an organ and you can have a high mass or a low mass or, you know, most of our fights are, you know, got to do with liturgical preferences, you know, and w- whether someone thinks that one is more reverend or the other one's more reverend or who's the, the, the most serious Catholic and w- what's your correct posture and blah, blah, blah. Look, you can have all of that, but, but without love, we're a clanging gong. You know, and if you look at some, you know, Catholic chat groups on social media, they're a clanging gong. <laughs> they're a resounding symbol because they're a bunch of Catholics getting all upset about the little things, um, which are not essential to our tradition often. Uh, occasionally they are, but a lot of the times they're just, you know, little little preferences, preferences and yeah. little things. Um, and it's it's love that grows the parish. It's love that grows the church. It's love for each other and it's love for God. And all the structures that we have facilitate that love. That's the whole point of them. They're there to facilitate love. I mean, even canon law is there to facilitate that. You, you have to have boundaries in any functional relationship. You have to have boundaries in any functional household. And they facilitate the relationship. It's all about relationship. You know, and it, you know, it's almost like that, that, that second coming of Christ is going to say the same thing he said in the first time. He didn't come to strike out any letters. The law came to fulfill it. You know, it's like, yeah. I didn't come to do yeah. like the, you know, I came to bring it to life. And that's how I feel about right. parish renewal. I'm not trying yep. like, I'm not straight yeah, down yeah. the middle yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Like, why would I go left yeah. or right? Like straight down yeah. the middle and let's bring this to life. And you can tell a tree by its fruit. Exactly. And, and, you know, and that's why, you know, one of the, you know, parish leadership course and one of the videos and talks that I have with people is making new disciples, new, capital N, capital yeah. E, capital W, like new Christians. Yeah. How many new uh, Christians are you making a year in your church? And if the answer is yeah. none, stop doing what you're doing, figure it out yeah. and go at it again. Like wrong answer, yeah. wrong answer. Like you just tell you straight yeah. up, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> so, totally. You know, measure it. How many new Christians yeah. are you making in your, if you're doing church for a year, with all of these people, and collectively, you're not making new Christians. And I'm not just talking having babies. That's I'm not going to give you uh, any credit yeah. for other people having babies. Like that's that was God's idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you are you making new Christians, and if yeah, you're yeah. not, dude, like please stop the insanity, stop it, and yeah. figure this stuff out. Get help. Call Peter. Yeah. <laughs> so, think so what a, else? Are you yeah, know, like yeah, I go wrong. <laughs> But but I think it's uh, it's making that process um, accessible too. You know, a lot yeah. of Catholics think, oh, yeah, I don't even know where to start with talking to someone about my faith and uh, yeah, blah 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 blah. Look, discipleship or, or accompaniment is a word that we often use. Okay. It's really pretty simple, right? Um, you know, I can go up to the, the the girl behind the counter at the cafe and I can begin discipling her. You're like, what do you mean? You, you know, she, you know. Well, I just roll up and I order a coffee, right? Um, well, that's not discipling. No, but how's your day going? Hey, good. How long you been working at the cafe? What'd you do before that? All right. I'm getting to know her. I get a bit of relationship with her. Right. And then it's like, Hey, thanks for making us coffee. I'm here every, every morning. And I appreciate how friendly you guys, how, how warm you are and how quickly you get my coffee out. I'm usually in a rush and I can't have a chat. It's really appreciated. So I'm beginning the relationship. Right. And then next time you're through there, you know, so, you know, how's life for you? Uh, you know, you marry, you're just getting to know them, you know, and eventually right. they say, oh, what do you do? I, I actually, I work for the church next door. Discipleship is just building relationship, right? And as the relationship gets stronger, you've got a stronger bridge to deal with more personal issues, right? So the stronger the bridge that is built is made, the more open and vulnerable you can become. And so you get to a point then 
where you say, yeah, I, I work for the church next door. You know, Jesus has really changed my life in a, in a powerful way. And so it's really inspired me to, to try and serve the church and, and help the church become an organization that loves people and brings life to people. You know, what's your experience of the church? <laughs> I, well, I grew up in church, you know, and so you can see how the thing builds, you know, um, but it's discipleship is just building relationship, but it's being intentional with how you use those those little conversations. Um, and, and you know, I'm I'm an avid cyclist. I'm out in the push bike most mornings, and I've got a, a bunch of guys that I ride with, and we disciple them, right? I, I disciple them. They don't know they're being discipled. I'm not saying, would you like to be disciple? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we just get, and, and they do, do the the same thing to me. You know, they check in if I'm struggling. Yeah. What's going on, Pete? You know, you're going right. You look oh, like true. you're really snowed under. Um, it, and it begins there, and then it's when something happens that where it hits the fan a bit. You know, they have a marriage breakup, or a child goes, um, goes, you know, a wall, or um, you know, or, or you know, an auntie dies or something, and then they'll be messaging me saying, "Hey, Pete, we need someone to do last rites. Can you can you do that?" I'm like, "Well, I'm I'm, I'm just a deacon, mate. I don't have the faculties, but I know several good priests that can. So I'll send you one <laughs> round right now." Yeah, so, right. It's really, it doesn't have to, it's not overcomplicated. Just build relationships, love yeah. the people around you. And when it's appropriate, share the reason for your joy. Well, we're still in better shape next time in Australia. I'd go on your bike ride with you, but maybe I'll drive a car. <laughs> uh, the <laughs> uh, like, I want to get back to your work with the diocese two years later. You had to adjust some of your goals, but what I love about it, and I think, oh, I think you're still, I don't know, I think you're well on your way. Uh, you're talking about the, the young people and the vision you have for youth groups and stuff, and you're doing some great work there, and it's awesome. What are you finding that was harder than you thought, and where are the wins coming from? Because it's harder than most people think. Yeah, I think anyone who works in a diocese will know, and the larger the diocese, the, the more true this is. It's a huge organisation. You know, we have 15,000 staff across five agencies, and most of those are education staff. Then some are centre care, which is like um, care for the for the poor, care for domestic violence um, victims, care for, uh, you know, disabled people. You know, and it's about 3,000 staff in that. And then there's sort of the church infrastructure around, you know, safeguarding and workplace health and safety, all that sort of stuff. And so a diocese is just multi-layered with bureaucracy and it's part of just being a large organization. And when you're trying to effect change in an organization, and in our case has 94 parishes and 20 communities um, across a fairly large land mass, <laughs> it's a slow process. And anyone who knows me will know I'm pretty impatient. Uh, I want to see change, you know, I want to see life, I want to see, um, see the yeah. winds, you know, I want to see people encounter God, I want to see parishes that are alive and um, really functional. And the challenge in a diocese is that takes time. If, if you're in a local parish, um, you're there yeah, and you, your job is in the parish, you, you're there every week and it's a confined relatively, you know, most parishes might have, you know, two or three mass centres, a couple of schools. But that's an achievable goal. Over three to five years, you can make a significant impact on the culture if you're the leader of that community. Whereas uh. if you're a leader in an organization like mine, you've got to, I've got to work with my staff. So I've got to work through my staff to some degree. And then uh. I've got to try and work with and through a hundred odd priests. Now, some of those are really keen to work with us and get on board uh. and, and they really appreciate the encouragement, the resources. Others are not so interested and we don't force it to ourselves. We're, we're an invitational yep. organization. We're there to say to parishes, if you want our support, we're here to help you to the extent that you want it, but we don't sort of push in there. Yep. And so it means that the change is, is slower than it's like. I mean, we're, we're talking a 20 to 30 year trajectory. And so part of my role in, in this job is is not to think, oh, great, I'm just going to sit here for 20 to 30 years, but it's, it's what... What are the foundations required? What are the structural pieces necessary so that no matter what happens to me in the next 10, 20, 30 years, the change can continue? And who are the people that I've got here that can take on this role so that I'm not necessarily here? I'm not here to hog a role for 30 years, but I do see 
a long-term trajectory of change for the diocese and that requires long-term commitment. So we need to build in those, um, the building blocks there so that they're there for, for generations to come, not just for the time that I'm the executive director. So yeah. the, the pace of change is, is really slow. Um, another challenge is uh, engagement with schools. It's really difficult to build trust with our schools and a lot of that has meant me sitting down with principals and you know, explaining who, the, who, who I am and what my relationship is in the diocese and also to the executive director of schools and say what we're trying to do. And for a variety of reasons, and this is probably true across the West, the, the parishes have become a little bit of the, the weird uncle to the schools, um, or the priest has become a bit of a, a weird uncle figure even. And so uh-huh. the engagement of parishes in schools has been um, inconsistent, shall we say. And so where that's been a negative experience, the, the school's kind of trying to limit the damage that the parish is going to inflict on the school. <laughs> right. You know, you don't know our context, we're a learning environment and you don't really get where the, the, the pre, where the children are at and where their parents are at. And so you just come and do a liturgy once a year or once a semester and then you just stay out. And so we're saying, no, no, we, we want to have our young youth staff in your school every week during lunch hours and at assemblies and we want to invite your students along to our youth ministry and that requires trust, uh, and trust takes time to build, especially if it's mm. been broken. So, so that's been a yeah. challenge for us. Um, and and the other thing I think that you know, and you've picked up this on this earlier is, look, you don't you don't you can't do anything in the Catholic Church without copying criticism. Um, and in a diocese, you go and do something intentional, and there'll be someone there that's not happy. It's not their style, or they don't uh-huh. like it, or they think you should have done it this way or that way. Um, sometimes you get that feedback from from some clergy as well. Um, and so part of the challenge of leadership in the Catholic Church, whether you're a, a, a local parish priest or in a diocesan role, is being able to absorb the, the arrows, the, the flaming arrows that come, and they usually yeah. come from people within, not, not externally. Um, it's how to uh, extinguish those arrows without getting burnt and... Um, and being able to turn the other cheek, to be gentle in, in response uh, to people. Um, and just knowing when to respond and when not to as well. Like sometimes you get, you know, a, a anonymous letters, having a dig at, at something we've done or one of our staff or whatever. All that sort of stuff goes on. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it really we're does. on the same side, you know, like really. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, yeah, yeah, that's some of the challenges. Yeah. Thanks for speaking into that. It's true. And, and, um, I you know, just coaching a group of priests today, and you don't understand, Ron. Like, oh yes, I do. Uh, but there they get. <laughs> you know, if we if we don't. If we just keep saying yes, yes, then 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 there's no problems. But as soon as we start saying no, you know, there's big problems. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm a dad. Like, and if and if I just <laughs> keep saying yes, yes to my kids, that's fine. But they yep. they eat ice cream and stay up all night, and they're cranky and they do terrible at school. So I don't get to yep. say yes, yes. I yeah, have yeah. to say, I had to know exactly. what to say. Yes, and back to your point about having kids, and uh, and so you know whether you're in the diocesan level or the parish level, we do get arrows if we're leading, and it and it often does come <laughs> from inside, and sometimes those can sting a little bit more. But I think there are yeah. ways to deal with that and cope with that, and recognize that yeah. that just is a part of leadership, and it's okay. It doesn't mean you're doing a bad job. It means you're doing yeah. a good job. Like it could mean you're doing a good job. You know, but yeah, it it is yeah. part of the process. Um, and look, we've, we've found that too. Last year, we in the parish that I serve, um, in the next door parish, um, parish priest from the, the adjacent parish is the administrator of the parish that I'm at. And uh, so we, we've been working together on a process with the pastoral councils on, you know, going from eight masses down to four, um, yeah. like 550 odd people. So it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do, you know. I mean, that number of people, you could, yeah. you could legit have two, two masses, you know, we've got eight. So, you know, yeah. we're having these priests coming in supply priests, you know, for, for 30 people, 21 people, 22 people. It was crazy. You know, you look at the numbers, yeah. it's no brainer. But as soon as you say to the people in the community, we're going to go from eight to four, you know, everyone's in conniptions and they're having heart attacks. And we followed a really collaborative process. You know, we did surveys, we shared the broader vision. We talked about the need for change. We even had one of our bishops come and support us in that and share that we, we actually need to do this because it's the whole diocese that gets affected by the, the, the sheer quantity of masses being expected from small uh. numbers of people. But still very difficult process. Um, 
but you know, for for our priest involved in the process, you know, in in some respects, looking back, and I think we were probably too collaborative. <laughs> we gave people too much say. Um, but once the decision was made, then then it settled. Um, and and the, our priest has really grown in that too, realizing that he can actually lead. And when people realize that he is going to lead, they will in in the end fall in behind. And some won't be very happy about it, but they'll come to terms with that. And so. Just recently, again, he's had to make some new announcements, and he's had a bit more courage this this time, and he's right. jumped in and and done it. And it's really great to see. It's it's encouraging to see the confidence that he's developing because that's hard space, you know. And and he's the yes, perfect example of a guy who hasn't been trained to to make tough calls and stare people down <laughs> who, are, who are against yeah. him. Yeah. It's, it's hard to do, you know. I mean, there it might is. only be ten of them in a group of five hundred, but they're compelling and they're all got. And they have stories to tell you about why they love this church and this building and this mass time and how it's been part of their whole life, you know. Um, so, but the the church in the in the whole world needs priests who will lead and who will make tough decisions for the sake of the mission. And just as you say, like every family needs parents that are going to make tough decisions for the sake of the family that are in the best mm-hmm. interests of the whole family, not just one. Um, and priests got to do the same. Amen. What a great place to wrap up. Peter, it's uh it's so fun to talk with you. Um it is so fun to talk with you. Like uh, yeah, it's great to catch up. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. Like, we can just, talk easy. <laughs> yeah, very easy. I get very excited by your passion for the church and and um yeah, thank you for, for your sacrifice coming you know, from your Protestant background and your Pentecostal background and bringing that passion and, and that, that the belief that anything's possible to the Catholic Church and and then laying mm-hmm. your life down to help us. Uh, I, I'm so grateful. You're, you're a real gift to the church, yeah. and and um, so grateful for Archbishop Mark and and uh, you know yeah, how he's excellent. empowered you to really be in a position to come alongside of people that want to work with you to to lead a staff mm-hmm. in a way you know from a place of relational and, and what was the other leadership relational, yeah, relational and, and purpose. purpose purpose leadership. Yeah, you're yeah, a wonderful yeah. example of that. And I think today. Uh, our listeners will will see that and hear that in you and and take those gems home with them for all of you that are our parish priests or seminarians i I want you to know we love talking about this stuff and i get so excited about it and frustrated about it because i care so much i respect Mm. priests i respect the priesthood so much Mm. i really do and uh really felt called a long time ago lay my life down in support of that and Mm. so i i get frustrated and animated and all those things not because I'm angry, although it comes across that way sometimes because I care so much, I love so much, and I know how big of an impact you can have for the kingdom when we get all these things mm-hmm. right. And so, you know, truly, Peter, thank you for sharing your wisdom and thank you for doing what you do. Yeah, you're a real gem to the church. God bless you. Thanks, Ron. It's always great being on the show, and uh, thanks for what you're doing too. It's it's incredible yeah. the, the number of priests whose lives you're impacting in support of their leadership. So yeah, you're a gift to the church. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And we really appreciate you guys for following along and, and listening in and all the work that you do in your parish. Again, we're going to be doing a podcast specifically answering your questions around handling conflict in the missional parish. So go to huntleyleadership.com backslash questions, fire in your questions. Uh, Lorraine and I are going to build a whole podcast around that, and we're hoping that'll come out in June. So thank you again for listening. God bless you, and we will see you next time. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.